Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 112 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 9th of June 2013, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, Part 44. And the Bible reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 8. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. If you'd like to be opening your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 this morning, And God willing, we'll be reading from verses 6 through 8. Of course, those who are regular and faithful here at Bethel will know that last weekend we were blessed with the missionaries being with us and what a blessing that was. And of course, as we have been, even as part of our series on contending for the faith and on the glorious church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we looked the two Sundays prior to that at the three dimensions of giving in God's work. God's work is to be financed by God's people. Of course, in actual fact, it's God that finances his own work through his people, but he needs faithful people that he does that through. We looked at those three dimensions, the first fruits, the tithe, if you would, the free will offerings and the faith promise, three dimensions that if you're going to, to see the principles of giving in God's word, we talked about giving in the whole... Uh, I guess, wide picture that no matter how we're giving, we can never outgive our God. It's one of those phenomenal principles of Scripture that will never make sense to the world. But to the Christian, it's great. As we look back into God's Word this morning, I want to give you one final thing. We've talked about all those things and all those principles and and how we can do it. But I want to refer back, surely it's a scripture that we read, but only referred to in passing in in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'd like to to read verses 6 through 8, and I'm going to invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's holy word, again beginning in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 6. But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Father, we thank you again for your word. We ask your blessing upon it at this time. Lord, we pray that you would use thy servant to speak the words that you would have spoken this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. There's a lot of different things that make us happy in life. I mean real joy. We've sung about it this morning, but I mean a a real joy that comes from me and nothing artificial, but something that just has to come bubbling out. I also know that most of the time when the preacher announces that he's going to preach on giving, that's not usually one of those things that make people just bubble over with joy. It's interesting what we're reading here. Now, we've talked about this principle. We give sparingly, we're going to reap sparingly. We give bountifully, 
we're going to reap bountifully. We talked about that other passage where it talked about we're going to reap in the same measure that we give. We give by the spoonful. We get back by the spoonful. We always get more spoonfuls back from God than we give. We give with a shovel. He repays with a shovel. We give with a dump truck. He repays with a dump truck. The Bible teaches us that we will be meet with that same measure that we give with. And here that's it. You know, if, if we give a little, we're going to get a little. We're always going to get return. You can't, you just can't outgive God. But I want to ask you something, and, and just, just be honest. I mean, the Bible is giving us a picture here, if you would, of an, of an offering bag or an offering plate being passed around. It says, God loves a cheerful giver. The word there literally carries with it the idea of hilarious. When was the last time that you were so, so joyful, so happy about being able to, to give into God's work that when the offering plate came to you and one of our stewards handed it, you just burst out with laughter. I mean, the joy just come bubbling out of you because you were so excited about being able to give into God's work. Have you experienced that lately? Most of us don't. Why? Not because it's not possible, but because like so many things in God's word, we get to know the facts. We get to know all these things, and that's all, you know, we don't need to hear that again. Well, the problem is we hear it and we know it up here. But if we really grasp what we want to talk about this morning, how is it, what is it that can make giving be so joyful that it's just hilarious. I mean, the joy just comes bubbling out of us because we're able to give into the Lord's work. You know, I'm sure today that many of you like myself will have known times in your life when money's been tight. Like some of us, you might say, yeah, pretty much every day. <laughs> There's never been such an overabundance of it that we didn't have to worry about it. You might think, boy, wouldn't it be nice just to be able to, to give into the offerings, to give into all the needs that, that are out there and never even have to think about it because I had so much money in the bank that it didn't matter. Then that's what would make me happy. I think you'd be surprised. <laughs> I think you'd be surprised. Because I don't think that's the kind of thing that really gives us this joyful, cheerful, hilarious giving that the Bible is talking about here. I wonder if you've ever been in a situation in your life where it wasn't just tight, but maybe you honestly didn't know where your next meal was coming from. Or you didn't know even more challenging than that where your children's next meal was going to come from. Your parents, you can relate to that. Maybe you've been in such a tight financial situation that, boy, maybe you owed the bank some money on that car and, 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 and you haven't been able to make the payments and suddenly they're talking about coming and taking it back. Or maybe you haven't been able to pay your rent or your mortgage and there's an honest, honest chance of being put out on the street, of being without a home, you, your family, whatever. I'm saying that to say this. You know, if you knew they were coming to kick you and your family out of the house, to haul your car, 
you'd probably be doing just about anything that you could to stop that from happening. And yet, that would be such a concern. But may I say this? If the bank came and took all of our homes and all the vehicles we've got and everything that we have in our home, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not exaggerating here. If they took everything that all of us have and yet there was one individual that would be saved from eternity in hell because of that, I say to you, it'd be worth the price. You see, we know up here how important it is. What we've been focusing on these last few weeks on the Lord's work, what we focused at so much as we've looked at the church, the church of Jesus Christ, the church that he died for, the church that is here, that the work of Christ can be carried on on this earth. We're not here for our social events. We're not here for all these other things. We're here that the work of Christ can be done through us. We're his body. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to be nailed to a cruel cross to die so that others could be saved. We know these things up here. But do we really know them in here? I know you've heard the illustration before. What if it was your neighbor or your family that, that lived next door? <laughs> and what if in this physical world, this physical realm, you suddenly saw that their house was on fire? I mean, literally. You saw this and you just looked at it and you said, hmm, that's serious. But somebody will take care of it. Somebody will resolve that problem. I tend to think that it would really, if it was somebody that you really cared for, or even if it was a stranger that you'd never met on the earth, I cannot comprehend if you're in the remote, even closest, least bit of being human, that you wouldn't do something to warn those people. And yet I'm saying to you, with no exaggeration whatsoever, that if that house burnt to the ground with every living soul in it, it wouldn't even compare to those same people spending an eternity in hell, separated from God, separated from life. In that place that was prepared for the devil and his angels, it's no comparison, and yet... I cannot imagine there's anybody here that wouldn't do everything in your power to raise the alarm, to let those people know. We've been challenged time and again this past week with the missionaries that were here about our Jerusalem, where we are right now. You see, we're to carry the gospel, yes. We talked on Wednesday evening for those that were here about what it meant about the uttermost to the ends of the world. The truth is, we all have the same responsibility to be witnesses. God may call some of you to go somewhere specific, but if he doesn't call you to go somewhere else, the responsibilities you have in your Jerusalem, where you live, in your community, in your city, in your town, they're no different than that missionary that's out there in the, in the jungle at the farthest ends of the world. We all have the same responsibility. People around us are going to an eternity without Jesus Christ. That's not somewhere they want to be. 
But somehow that's got to get from here to here. You see, folks, I believe this with all my heart. If that was in here, instead of up here, we'd be doing everything we can personally to witness to those souls that were going into eternity. We'd be doing everything we can. We would be excited about being able to give into the Lord's work that somebody else could be won into the kingdom. It would excite us. That joy would just roll out of us because we're privileged to be able to do it. You'll never do it. Never. Ever. In the flesh. Oh, you can work that old flesh up a little bit every now and then and convince it of something. But like everything else from God, until it comes from the heart, it's not going to matter. And it's not going to last. The Bible said... He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. There is no question about the reaping. If you give, you will reap. If you sow, you will sow. But it does depend on how much seed that you put out. It depends upon how much you sow, how much you're going to reap. Every man as according as he what? Purposeth. In his heart. It's got to get in here. It's when he purposes in his heart, the Bible says, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. I mean, getting excited. Not dreading being able to, excited about giving. I want us to focus because I believe a lot of that. You see, we talked about the principles of giving in the three dimensions. I just want us to think about this morning the performance, that being accomplished, that being done by the grace of God. You see, we could talk about a lot of these, but notice what he says there in verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye... Always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. You see, it's only going to happen by the grace of God. It's not something that will come natural to the flesh, but it can come natural. You see, it's the Word of God. That is God's means of calling us to a life of faith. We talk about it. We know about it. But few Christians really live a life of faith. You've heard me say many times, you know, we know we have a head knowledge of the imminent, imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He could come at any moment. But how many of us are really living today like we really thought he was coming back today? How many of us are living today as if we thought he was really coming back tomorrow or next week? It's not in here. It's in our heads. John Boyce said, faith is the soul's ears. Faith is the soul's ears. You see, as we hear something, we consider what is being said. 
And then we either believe it or we don't believe it. We hear something, we consider it, we really believe it. We're hearing words from God's word here this morning. Now, each and every one of us, I'm, I'm not sure where your attention is right now, how much attention that you're paying to God's word and what God is saying or how much attention you're paying to something else. That's the problem so many times. Everything else has our attention. But if we'll hear it and we'll consider it, what I want to ask you this morning is, do you really believe it? Folks, we know the verse, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is what we must believe. This is what will give us that life of faith. It's God's word. As we hear it, as we consider it, do you hear what God is saying in these verses this morning? How much have you really considered what God is saying? Just in these verses, I mean, boy, he says so much, but just in these verses, how much have you really considered it? And do you honestly Believe it. I know you wouldn't say otherwise a Christian. No, I don't. But do you honestly believe it in your heart? If so, I promise you it'll make a cheerful giver out of you. It'll make a hilarious giver out of you. It'll actually cause you to get so excited about giving and knowing that what God is doing by his amazing power and his amazing grace and his amazing love through everything, what he's doing through you. You see, it is God that's doing it. But can he trust you to be a part of it? Can God give through you for his work to be accomplished? I want you to notice a couple of things about these verses that I just, I hope will help you this morning. I hope that will make Every opportunity that you have to give to the Lord, whether it's your time, whether it's your money, whether it's your finances, the boy, just, just the ability to be able to do that, you get excited and joyful in your heart that it just bubbles out. It's great to be able to serve God. It's great to be able to be in God's house. It's great to be able to be with God's people. It's great to be able to give in to God's work. It's great to be able to witness to a lost person that you get excited about the things of God that are taking place in your life. First of all, notice it says, and God is able. I don't even need to go back to the Greek there. God is able. We know that. That's a pretty simple truth. Do we really believe that in our heart? You see, that word able is speaking of ability and, and, and strength. One cannot call upon God. Think about this. You can't call upon God to do anything that he's unable to do. <laughs> There's nothing that needs more power than what he's got. There's nothing that needs more knowledge than what he has. Stop and think about it. The Word of God says nothing is impossible with God. Yes, with man these things are impossible, but... With God, all things are possible. I mean, we've got so many illustrations. Do you really believe that he, that he parted the Red Sea and he allowed the, the children of Israel to come out of Egypt on dry land? Do you believe that? 
or if we moved into the intellectual stage of trying to come up with some rational earthly reason for it. I say, our God, he was able and he did part the sea and they did cross on dry land. He's the one. When Nebuchadnezzar heated that furnace seven times hotter than it had ever been heated before. <laughs> oh, it was just a place of comfort for the Hebrew children as they took a stroll through there. Why? Because God is able. Do we believe that though? Do we honestly believe <laughs> that when, when Daniel was put there in that lion's den, I mean, we learned these stories in Sunday school. Do we believe that he was there and the lions were right there? <laughs> and yet, God protected him. They were just like a little pussycat. <laughs> no danger. Why? God is able. Let's quit knowing that in our head. Let's quit saying that with our mouth, but let hold of it in our hearts. Our God is able. God's ability is assured. That might be a question of his will and whether we're in his will or not. But it's never ever a question of his ability. And you know what? God's not looking for your ability. I've told some of you before when we when we and the family traveled in that 30 foot 35-foot travel trailer up and down the roads of America from church to church week after week for a couple of years. Had a little plaque hanging in the kitchen right above the kitchen sink just as a reminder to me. And it was something to the effect of these simple words, God isn't interested in your ability or inability. God is interested in your availability. You see, it's not our ability that matters. You might not be able to give any more to missions. Praise God. Because the exciting thing is that though you're not, God is. God is able. That's nothing to him. We know those facts. But are they purposed in our heart? God simply wants you to be available for him to accomplish. Yes, sometimes the impossible. He's God. He's powerful beyond all limits that the human mind can even think about, let alone know and see. Hebrews 11.6 says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That he is and that he is able to do what he promises to do. That when we go to him, he is a rewarder. He does answer those prayers. He is there to fulfill his promises. A rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You see, it would almost be easier to somehow think that it would be really good to please God if we could just do something spectacular with our life. If we could do what somebody else is doing, 
if we could accomplish what somebody else has accomplished. Somehow our minds might grasp that easier, but folks, that just isn't the case. It doesn't matter what anybody else has done or what anybody else is doing. Are you available for our God to do through you what he wants to do, what he wants to accomplish right where you are? Because God is able if you're available. He is able. There is no question about it. God just wants people to believe him, to honestly believe him. You come to God. You got to believe that he is before you can ever come to him in the first place. The Bible says that it's a fool that says in his heart there is no God. Folks, we're not of that crowd. You're here and you're a child of God today. You know that he's there, but let's get, let's get out of this head stuff. Let's get it in our heart and let's just grasp even these simple words here that our God is able. God's ability is assured. Secondly, God's grace is abounding. His ability is, is absolutely assured to you. But his grace is abounding. It says to make all grace abound towards you. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. Do you know that God is able to make all grace abound towards you? You know what that word to make something abound means? It means to exceed a fixed number, a fixed measurement. It means to go beyond that. In other words, God's not there just when he says to make all grace abound towards you. You never have to worry about running short. The Bible says that his grace abound towards you. I mean, to go beyond anything you need, beyond anything that might come into your life. God is able to make all grace abound toward you. God is able to go beyond any need that you might have now or might ever have. Whatever you need. God could supply it many times over, no matter what it is. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That includes, here in his context, he's talking about giving. But he's talking about all grace in all things. In this one, the grace of giving. What did he say back in chapter 8, verse 1, when we looked there, moreover, brethren, we do you to wit, what? Of the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. What were the churches of Macedonia doing? Out of their poverty, out of great affliction, they were giving beyond themselves, beyond anything that they could do. It didn't even make sense. Why was that? The grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Why was that being accomplished? The grace of God. God
God's grace in giving. You read the next four verses of that chapter, you'll find that he was speaking specifically about their giving there. I mean, these, these saints were so poor that the apostle Paul didn't want to take what they were trying to give him. No, no, and they're begging him, please, out of their poverty. They were so happy. They were so joyed. Why? The grace of God. The grace of God that had been bestowed upon them. And the Bible says God is able to make all grace abound towards you. Is that just something theoretical that we read about in the Bible and we know that it's there, we know all those facts about it, or is something that we purpose in our heart and we believe it and we live like it and we act upon it? The grace of giving. And it's kind of like the grace of forgiveness. <laughs> For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. By God's grace, faith is the only way of getting there. You see, today, that is the pathway to God's grace. Romans 3, 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God's grace is abounding. The grace of giving, the grace of forgiveness you know, God's even got grace for your suffering. <laughs> Second Corinthians 12, 9, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. You know that. Do we really believe it in our hearts? My grace is sufficient for thee. He says, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Wow. How can he be so happy to glory in the infirmities, in the weaknesses? Because it was more important that the power of God be seen through his life. Folks, we're talking about a grace that abounds toward you. That's a specific direction. It's not just a general grace out there. The challenge is God is able to make all grace abound toward you. Put your name in there. That's God's word. He was speaking to the church there. He's speaking to the church here today. He's speaking to you today. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. Notice the next words, that you always having all sufficiency in all things. You see, not only do we see that God's ability is assured and that God's grace is abounding, we see here that God's provision is all-inclusive, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things. You see, his provision for grace, it is all-inclusive. Yes, here he's talking about in the context of giving, maybe we can't do any more for missions 
in the coming year. But you'll never convince me that God has said enough is enough. You'll never convince me that God can't do more than what you think or I think or anybody else could think because of the grace of God. That ye, you know the difference in ye and you, ye is plural. A lot of the new Bibles are missing that. You just got to guess at it unless you can go back and figure it out. But ye means he's speaking to all of them in the church there. Every one of them. He's speaking to all of us today. He didn't say those of you that, that meet a certain standard, then all your needs will be taken care of. Um, he didn't say those of you that hold a certain position. He didn't say those of you that have been hanging around there and hanging in there long enough, this is for you. He didn't say those of you that have passed a certain mark in your Christian walk, you've achieved a certain level. No, from the youngest to the oldest, from the most carnal to the most spiritual, he said that ye always having all sufficiency in all things. Always, that's, that's a pretty important word in there. <laughs> in other words, there will not be a time when God's not going to be there for you. Always, always. That doesn't leave anything out. Our mistake so many times is when we start with a problem and we even see it in the coming, God's a lot of times the last person we contact when it gets so desperate that we cry out to him, we try everything else first. But God is able to make all grace abound towards you that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, having all sufficiency, having all sufficiency. You know, that's in the present tense. <laughs> that's right now. That's not hypothetical. It's now. All sufficiency. Say that in your life right now, do you really, honestly, genuinely believe? You know, that word sufficiency means it's speaking about a perfect condition of life in which no aid, no support is needed. Stop and think about that. Our God is able. He is able. He's able to make all grace abound towards you so that literally, always, in all things, he's sufficient. There's nothing that can be left out. What an incredible promise. You know, the apostle said something similar when he was writing to the church at Philippi in Philippians 4.19. He says, but my God shall supply, what's the next word? All. What's the next word? Your. All your need 
according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You know, we got we got to get this out of our heads and into our hearts. In Jesus Christ, our God is able to literally to make His grace abound towards us in every situation, at every point of our life, no matter what the need is, that nothing else would be needed. That's our God. That's our God. Our God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things, notice the next part, may abound to every good work. God's ability is assured to us. God's grace is abounding. God's provisions is all-inclusive. God's work is accomplished. You see, may abound to every good work. These words qualify the supply that is waiting for us. God never asks you to do anything that he won't supply everything that you need to do the job. You won't be caught shorthanded. You know, a great illustration of that is every time that God calls a man to stand in this pulpit to preach, Nobody, nobody, nobody. You see, nobody understands the grace it took to save you, but you and God. Nobody understands the grace it takes for this man to stand in this pulpit except me and God. Some people that are closer to you, they get a better grasp than some of those that don't know you so well. It's not because I deserve it. It's not because I can do it better than somebody else. It's because God called me to do it. And God's the one. 1 Timothy 4.14 says, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. God gifts every one of his children. But again, nobody, yeah, there's a lot of people that just do it for a profession. But if a man surrenders to preach and he doesn't have the gift of God, it's not going to go very far. It doesn't come full grown. We have to grow. We have to learn. You know, sometimes God uses the most unlikely characters you can imagine. <laughs> I can tell you, it did, it did more than just take them, some of, the, some of my good friends that I served in the military, it took more than just a little bit of their breath away when they heard that I was preaching. <laughs> God could use the most unlikely characters. And you know, you know the thing is, I don't, I've, I've never had any false illusion about being another Charles Haddon Spurgeon. <laughs> I don't have any false illusions about being some great name preacher in our day. I want to be where God wants me. Unfortunately, that's with you right now. <laughs> in the center of God's will, 
too many, too many preachers today, they get discouraged because their ministry is not like somebody else's ministry. We've seen the importance of the church and God's people being shepherded and God's people being flocked. It's not a question of the numbers. It's a question of being available for God to do what he wants where he wants. Maybe your call isn't to be a pastor or a preacher, but we've already said we all have a responsibility to be a witness. Maybe God is speaking to you about going to the mission field. Maybe God wants to do something with your life in full-time service, and that's not what you planned. That's not what you had in mind at all with your life. But maybe it scares you. But you can't imagine that. You can't comprehend that. Yes, we're all missionaries to some degree. But God calls those specifically to be sent out. That's what the word missionary really means. And it's the church to send them out. What you need to understand is if you're willing just to be obedient, God is able. God is able. His grace is more than sufficient. And he's going to literally make his grace abound towards you more than you could ever possibly need. There'll always be more than enough. Always. In all things. Whatever God wants of you. You see, the Bible teaches us that in reality, we are his workmanship. <laughs> Sometimes we're wanting to do the job ourselves. He goes on in Ephesians chapter 2, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That sounds familiar. May abound to every good work. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God is working through his church to accomplish his eternal purpose. That certainly includes the work of evangelization, of winning the lost to Christ. God has no more important work on this earth. That was why Jesus came, was to seek and save the lost. Nothing brings more glory to God than a lost, undeserving sinner being forgiven, washed clean as if he had never sinned, made into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ, created in Christ day by day. He says, then to see everyone carry on that work of Christ, those good works in this world, in his name, for his glory. doesn't matter if anybody else knows about it. God's grace abounds towards you. And then you, in turn, abound to every good work. You see, the work is accomplished because of God's grace. Do you believe that? Because the only pathway to the grace is believing it. It's faith. You can't get there any other way. It's all 
to God's credit, to God's glory. It's all by God's grace. But you can't get to it if you don't believe it. For by grace are you saved through faith. You see, the promise of God's grace abounding towards us to such a degree that we not only just get by, but that we've got more than enough in all things. It's sometimes difficult for us to grasp and believe. Why? Because we have to look in that mirror every day. You know who you really are. You know your weaknesses and your failings. You know what goes on in your heart more than anybody around you except the Lord. People fool you sometimes. Most of you know. I guess one of the one of the men I guess that I admire in, in bygone years in the ministry is certainly Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I want to give you this illustration in closing this morning. Charles Spurgeon and Joseph Parker were contemporary preachers. Both had churches in London during the 19th century. On one occasion, apparently, Parker was up in his pulpit and he had made a comment about the, the poor condition of a lot of those, uh, those children that were admitted into Spurgeon's orphanage. Well, as things so often do, his comment got twisted and turned and bit till the word got back to Mr. Spurgeon that Parker had actually criticized the orphanage. Spurgeon got up into his pulpit the next week and boy, he blasted Parker and he criticized him for what he had done. We find that that attack was then printed in the newspapers. People began to talk about this this battle that was raging between these, these two well-known preachers. After it was reported what Mr. Spurgeon had said in his pulpit about Parker this Sunday, guess what? Next Sunday, Joseph Parker's church was filled up because they wanted to see what Parker was going to say about Spurgeon then. You see, even these men had a flesh. They turned up the next Sunday at Joseph Parker's church expecting him to really light in on C.H. Spurgeon. And here's the words they heard. He said, I understand Dr. Spurgeon is not in his pulpit today, and that this is the Sunday that they used to take an offering for the orphanage. I suggest we take a love offering for them here instead. <laughs> well, the crowd were delighted. <laughs> said the ushers had to empty the collection plates three times that Sunday because people were giving so much. Later that week, Joseph Parker had a knock on his door. Who was standing there but Charles Spurgeon? And it was Spurgeon that said, you know, Parker, he said, you've practiced grace on me. You've given me not what I deserved, but you've given me what I needed. And I thought that's a wonderful illustration. You know, even, even the greatest of spiritual leaders in this life we get in the flesh sometimes. We don't deserve. We can all look in the mirror and say, I don't deserve that. We can all hear all these things about faith promise. And folks, you know, it's not a necessity. I'm trying to show you a way that, that you can know joy in being involved in God's work. 
with you. You know, when they got involved in faith promise, it was themselves they had to give first. I mean, a joy to be able to go on the outreaches, to be out there in the open air, a joy to be out here with your brothers and sisters in Christ knocking on the doors in the neighborhood, a joy. You look forward to it. You're excited about it, doing what you can. I want it to be a joy for you. You know, we've sung about it. We've read about it. But that can only come from the heart. It can only come by God's grace. Remember, your avenue to God's grace is not deserving it. It's believing it. For by grace through faith, you were saved. For by grace through faith, you're kept. For by grace through faith, you're created in Christ Jesus unto good works. There is no better work than his work. You see, we can know all about it, but the performance of your giving is a work of God's grace, and it will come through an act of faith. It'll never be a burden. It'll never be hard. I want you to know that joy that is unspeakable and full of glory that we talked about. We've got to come to the reality the abounding grace of our Lord is a reality in our hearts, not just something we know the theological words and we talk about. Yeah, on some level, we know it's true, but we don't live our lives accordingly because it's grasped us from within. Father, I thank you this morning. Lord, we were challenged this past week by the missionaries that stood in this pulpit. Lord, we're challenged by your word. Lord, we can read about all these things. We can, Lord, read and understand the principle of giving you the first fruits of our tithes. Lord, the principles of free will love offerings that, Lord, are just they're that which we do because we want to from our hearts because we're willing. Lord, the faith promise giving that we saw practiced in Scripture, Lord, that is beyond us, is something that can only be accomplished by you through us by faith. And Lord, as we think upon these things, we see here from this passage today, Lord, if we give sparingly, we reap sparingly. If we give bountifully, we reap bountifully. Lord, you don't want us to give grudgingly or of necessity, but Lord, you love a cheerful giver, a hilarious giver. And Lord, it ought to make us hilarious when we begin to understand that, Lord, through our Lord Jesus Christ, because of him, not because of what we deserve, but your grace abounds towards each and every one of us. In all ways, in all things, it's always there. It's always sufficient. Lord, that in the end, the good works may abound. So, Lord, I pray that you would take and allow this to to penetrate our hearts this day. Help us, Lord. Help us to get out of these head modes and to get into heart modes. Help us to truly, genuinely be used of you 
to the fullest capacity that you would desire to use us. We will give you the praise for it in Christ's name. Amen.